This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Thanks to Byron for that update. Welcome back. We're Grant and Danny, and you are listening to The Fan. We're taking you up to 645 in Caps pregame tonight. They play just after 7 o'clock right here on The Fan. Your Caps power play coming your way after 6. We'll be discussing the Caps with Sam Pell in this Beltway Blitz. Also talking about the Commanders with Ethan Cadeau of NBC Sports Washington. But let's get the Blitz started right now. Go around the gridiron. The Talk NFL with us, Benjamin Brown of PFF. So, Benjamin, why don't we start with what is way less significant, obviously, than the great news today of progress being made for DeMar Hamlin in a Cincinnati hospital. But I did see that Mike Florio was tweeting that the league is considering a bunch of different options for what to do now. One of the crazy things I saw him float, and I think this is ridiculous and won't happen, but I want to get your thoughts, is expanding the playoff field to eight teams in each conference so that two teams actually get a bye. What do you think of that? Yeah, I, I honestly don't love it. Obviously, there's like the revenue aspect of it for why the NFL might be more inclined to lean in that direction. But to me, I, I think the best case scenario in a really unfortunate situation is to somehow get this Bengals-Bills game to actually be played, especially if it's going to matter to the AFC playoff race. So I, I, I although, you know, it might be, you know, uh, you know, like Christmas morning to some teams sitting on that bubble, bubble specifically, you know, like the Washington Commanders. I just think that's probably the least likely outcome for how we arrive at any sort of conclusion to this, uh, you know, I would say situation right now. But based on the calendar, it seems impossible that they could have the game played and start the yeah. playoffs when they're supposed to start. So to me, it's actually really simple. I think you just go with winning percentages. You say this yeah. unbelievably awful thing happened. We can't finish the game. Sorry. I don't think the Chiefs are going to put up much of a fight. These are two of the best three teams in the AFC anyway. It's not like you know one of these teams needed to play the game to see if they could make the playoffs and move along. Like, what's wrong with that? Yeah, I think that's how we end up, you know, arriving at a conclusion. Like you said, the simplest form is probably the way in which we need to go. Uh, it's hard to see any team really creating a huge stink if we do go by winning percentage, basically. And I think that, you know, obviously there's going to be teams impacted more than others given this situation. But I think that is very much the fairest resolution, especially if we are, you know, hoping, I would say, to kind of keep everything on track and on schedule and play these games in the manner in which they're actually scheduled to. Ben, general question for you that kind of applies to this coming week. If you were in charge of a team that had nothing to play for, and I put that in quotation marks, right, in terms of playoff seeding, and you were kind of locked in no matter what happened, how would you handle the final week of the regular season? Yeah, I think specifically a team like the New York Giants, obviously, who are very much in locked into that sixth seed, I think it's a rest opportunity, right? I think you try and get your ducks in a row, get guys that, you know, very much, I would say, probably need some rest given the current state of where they're at in the season to probably get those reps. And I think we're going to see a guy, you know, like Brian DeVoe, who has very much, I would say, kind of embraced this analytics movement 
to probably rest a lot of the starters here, you know, on Sunday. Cause I think that is, you know, long-term probably the best approach to give these guys one week off. Now there are other teams very much dealing with a different rest type situation that probably need to get guys reps. All the, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles with Jalen Hurts kind of coming back from injury. That's a situation where, you know, after being off for so long, you kind of want them to shake off the rust a little bit here. So I, I think it's very team dependent, but you know, I, from my from my perspective and approach, I very much want to buy into the guys that I think make sharp decisions in other areas that uh, I think are probably going to know their team best and probably be able to handle those situations you know, better than some of the other coaches in the NFL. How would you define success for the Minnesota Vikings in this postseason? I mean, I think it's still got to be, you know, uh, a Super Bowl loss, basically, to the, you know, to the Buffalo Bills or Kansas City Chiefs or something. I think that would very much be success. I think, you know, for all intents and purposes, all of the NFC has their warts at the top, right? You can say what you want about, you know, Philadelphia probably started off as by far the best team, but I think that gap has closed just a little bit. You know, the 49ers are dealing with the Brock Purdy question marks that are going to continue to go to come out until they actually do arrive at the Super Bowl. So I, I think that, you know, given where the Vikings are at and given their win-loss record and given, you know, the veteran-laden talent that they have, like, this is very much a spot where if they don't make it to the Super Bowl, uh, I would probably consider that, you know, a little bit of a down season from that perspective. But I do think that probably about any team that actually arrives in the playoffs at that point, too. Most people, I would say, expect them to lose in the first or second round. I almost feel yeah. like if they get to the NFC title game, that would be a win. But you're right. It says it's funny to say that based on their record where they've been so good this year. Um, now they're dealing with their O-line being banged up as well. So I'm fascinated to see what, what that matchup's like with the Giants and, and beyond that. How about San Fran, who they might play in the second round? Are we over wondering when the bottom falls out on Brock Purdy or could that still be looming? I think it's still honestly looming. Obviously, you know, the light shines brightest in the highest spots. And I do think that we're going to see, you know, some of the catering to what he was at from at, from his college days, right? And I think that's got to be the main concern is that he really hasn't had more than a couple or a handful of throws that have been really poor, but that hasn't really been taken advantage of yet. But I do still think some of the underlining mechanics and everything else are probably present there. So if you expect Brock Purdy to maybe take the San Francisco 49ers team from behind and actually win a playoff game. I still think that's a pretty big concern. So although it might be overstated at this point, uh, I still think we could see the bottom fall off on the Brock Purdy train uh, sooner rather than later, I would say. Ben, thank you as always, buddy. Talk soon. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. You got it, pal. Hit that uh, Capitol Center for me, please. All right, Samantha Pell joins us to talk about those Capitals. She covers them for the Washington Post. Sam, I well, I tell you what, let's start here couple of guys coming back fairly soon, it seems. They're working their way back into the lineup. What can you tell us? What's the latest on some return from injury? Yeah, some good news for the Capitals. It looks like Tom Wilson and Nicholas Backstrom are slated to be back in the lineup sooner rather than later. Uh, reporters actually got a chance to talk with them yesterday and both in really, really good spirits. Really good to see Nick say, you know, he's still pain-free. He's feeling good. He's kind of hit all the markers he feels like he need, needed to hit to come back into the lineup. And now about conditioning and repetition and honestly we can see these guys I mean within the week what should we expect when they come back I'd imagine Willie's going to be awesome because it's an ACL when you get recovered prime of your career you should be fine but I, I kind of and, and look I'll raise my hand and say I was wrong I thought Backstrom's career was over I thought he was done he hasn't been Backstrom in a long time what's he going to give them 
Yeah, I think it's pretty remarkable in general that Backstrom has come back and he's going to play again this season. And he told us yesterday, he was like, I knew I was going to come back. Um, maybe some other people had their doubts, but he was really, really confident from the get-go that he wanted to come back and play this game. And I think what we're going to expect out of both of them, especially Nick, is I think he's going to be better than he was the last couple of years. I mean, he was playing through pain. He really said that every game was kind of a struggle, honestly, to know that he was going out there and he couldn't be 100%. So I think for Nick, it's going to be a really great change of pace. And even Peter Laviolette said, look, I'm not going to go out and play Nicholas Backstrom 27 minutes a night. Like, I'm not crazy, but he's not going to hide them in the lineup. They're all going to get their minutes. Backstrom's going to be on the first unit on the power play. So they're hoping things go back to normal, but I don't think you should set, you know, crazy expectations for the both of them, but definitely um, better, better overall. Sam, who could use one of those famous Samantha Pell pep talks where they need to pick their game up a little bit? Uh, I would probably say Anthony Mantha is in that category at the moment. Uh, I think at times, you know, even Brian McClellan has said that they need Anthony Mantha to kind of pick things up. And when Mantha's on his game, he's really, really good. And he can kind of get the offensive boost that this team needs. But when he's not, uh, they struggle. And tonight in Columbus, he'll be on the fourth line with Alexi Protus and Garnet Hathaway with Nick Dowd out of the lineup. He just had his, um, his wife just gave birth yesterday to their second child, a daughter named Ruby. Ruby Dowd. We love it. Uh, Looking ahead, now that they've turned their season around, give us kind of just the state of the union on the standings and the Metro and how things look for them. They're in a decent spot, but they've got a couple games in hand as well. I know it's a little early, but just give us some big picture thinking on trying to make the postseason. Yeah, so as of right now, the Caps have the number one spot in the wild card spot um, as of right now, and it's kind of a crazy thought that they are in this point, that they're, they are chasing a spot in the playoffs, thinking about what happened in October and November, and they knew that they had to have a really great December to push back in it, and they did. They went 11-2-2 two two in December, and now here they are. So, obviously, things are still really tight in the Metro. Carolina is still on top, but New Jersey's kind of fallen off. Pittsburgh um, is now out of the playoff race. So, everyone's kind of together but it's going to be a really interesting next couple of months before the trade deadline, especially to see which teams are going to go after who and uh, where these teams are going to be at. Just hate to hear that news about Pittsburgh. I'm, I'm pretty devastated and <laughs> shook up about that. Um, Marcus Johansson has been really good, I feel like, and I was dead wrong. My hand is going up if the question is who was wrong about Marcus Johansson. I feel like he's been a real asset for them, and I did not see that coming, Sam. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people in general, when we look at this Capitals team, I think a lot of people were wrong about a lot of things um, when you're looking at guys and how they've contributed and who's coming back and, you know, just how much this Capitals team has done well with all the injuries they've had. But especially Marcus Johansson, I think he's been great. I mean, he really sparked that Capitals power play during their stretch in December. He's been one of those leaders that's just been steady, cool, calm, collected. And I think for the Caps to have a guy like that now come back to the organization after some time away and just feel comfortable and confident and he just feels like he can come and contribute right away, I think that's great for the team and much needed, again, with all these leaders, you know, being out for such long periods of time. Samantha, thank you. We appreciate you. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Sam. Caps in action tonight. Your power play coming up in about two hours right here on Grant and Danny to get you set for the game. Let's keep the blitz moving. Ethan Cadeau, NBC Sports Washington. Ethan, what do you make of the 
back and forth, the weirdness. They were going to Heineke. Now they're going to Hal. Strange day yesterday in Ashburn. Definitely strange. I think they ultimately ended up on the only right move and the move they needed to make with the game essentially meaningless unless this, there somehow becomes a, an A-team playoff, which was thrown around. But obviously the game is meaningless. They need to see what they have in the rookie. Carson's not going to be here next year. Who knows if Taylor's going to be here next year. It's the right move. It's weird, like you said, how it took them to get to that path, but I'm glad they ended up on the right decision. The injury list is uh, a veritable novel at this point, or the guys yeah. who didn't practice. What's the what's it going to look like on Sunday? It's going to be a lot of young guys on rookie contracts. That's the way I've taken it. I think anyone who's been playing with a bunch of injuries the past few weeks playing through it, there's kind of no reason to force them out there. The team said they wanted to see more of the young guys. It's not just how it's guard Chris Paul, cornerback Christian Holmes, safety Percy Butler. These guys should all get more of an extended look. The receivers are one group that seems particularly healthy. All three of them, Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, said they expect to play. Who knows how long, but yeah, anyone who's been dealing with some sort of injury, I'd be surprised if they kind of push themselves out there and, like I said, a game that doesn't all that mean too much. Ethan Cadeau, NBCSportsWashington.com. What do you think Sam Howell's going to play like? What will this look like? I might be more bullish on Sam Howell than some. I think his arm is great. And I'm excited to see what, what he can show. I mean, he's played a lot of football, three-year starter at UNC, four-year start in high school. Not that that means that much, but this is really the first time since eighth grade he hasn't been the starting quarterback on this team. So I'm excited to see what he can do with Terry, Jahan, and Curtis, assuming they all play an extended amount. It's obviously going to be tough against a Dallas defense that has everything to play for and is already one of the best units in the NFL. But I, I'm excited. I, I think he'll show some progress. He's always been, like, good. His stats at UNC, even his last year, were really good, which kind of makes how he felt in the fifth round even more puzzling. I think he's a smart guy. Like I said, live arm. And I, I'm optimistic, but I think he can lead this offense in a pretty efficient way. At least I hope so. Ethan, what does it mean if he plays well? I, I It's hard. I, I don't know. Right? Because, like, one game sample size, even if he – goes out there and does what Jared Stidham did last week where he throws for 350 yards and four touchdowns, you're still attacking QB as if you don't have a franchise guy this offseason. At the very least, you bring in another guy to compete with him, but I think the fans want more than that. They either want them to go out and get the best possible quarterback on the market, whether that's Derek Carr or someone else, or they want them to use a high pick, a day one pick on the quarterback. And who knows if they'll be in that position to trade up and get Someone like Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, I'm not sure. Obviously, none of those guys are proven commodities and full guarantees to be really good in the NFL, but there's no answer for QB right now in this room. I'd be surprised if next year's Week 1 starters currently on the roster, even if Sam Howell plays exceptionally well against Dallas. Yeah, I think he's going to play better than maybe the expectation of disaster, and it's going to look like a rookie making his debut, like it's supposed to look. And In a loss this weekend at FedEx, that's always what they should have done. Uh, lastly, was this the leap in year three that it needed to be? Rivera said they did make a leap. Do you buy that even though they didn't win more games? If you win seven games in year one, seven games in year two, and seven games in year three, which is where that right now, it's really hard to 
quantify that it sure leap was made. I mean, sure, they have Jahan Dotson and Brian Robinson, two really good young pieces in offense. They have a bunch of good young players on defense. Jonathan Allen, Terry McLaurin are signed long-term. But we haven't seen progress. At the end of the day, you have to win games. I know he's been dealt with a bunch of unfortunate and super hard circumstances to have to work with throughout the organization, but they haven't won games the first year. They got into the playoffs with a losing record, didn't win any games there. Last year faltered under the stretch. This year faltered under the stretch. I saw a stat that Ron Rivera is 0-6 at home in December the last two years. That simply won't cut it. I mean, if you control your destiny and then you just can't follow through, I mean, changes have to be made at some point. I don't think they will be. I think he'll get at least one more shot. But it's, it's hard to say, yeah, they made tremendous progress when at the end of the year they have the same record, if not worse, than the year before, and they're watching the postseason from home. I mean, just look at Cincinnati. One year, two years of Joe Burrow, they're Super Bowl contenders. Other teams like the Giants, nothing really crazy happened with them, but they're in the playoffs. So it's just it's hard to see that progress. Ethan, where did you go to school? Where did you go to college? Maryland. You went to Maryland. And you graduated pretty recently, right? 2019. Yeah. Do you have a frat brother that looks kind of like Sam Howell? Like, I feel like every frat does. Oh, there's like five of them in my punch class. Exactly. Like, isn't, isn't that fun <laughs> for you? Like, isn't this going to be cool? <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I, I watched Sam Howell a lot at UNC because before I went to Maryland, UNC was kind of my dream school. So I still followed them even after I didn't go there. And I'm, I'm excited. I wanted them to draft him in the draft. I didn't think he'd make it to the fifth round. So it's kind of been a long time coming to see see what he can do. Maybe his nickname is the Pledge Brother. Well, you know what I mean? Like, that's what it feels like it is. <laughs> I can get behind that. <laughs> Thanks, Ethan. See you, dude. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, I appreciate you. Ethan Kiddo, NBCSportsWashington.com. We're going to blitz the East in 40 minutes. Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, all playoff bound. We'll check in with them. But next, what should the game plan be to make Sam Howe comfortable? What should they do to get him into the flow of the offense? You get to design the conversation with Hal leading up to the game. What are you looking for? What do you want him to be thinking and doing? How are you going to run the offense? What do you think this should and will look like? 800-636-1067 is the number on the MGM National Harbor listener lines. 800-636-1067. We're Grant and Danny. For me, I would not do much in this first game where he has to hold the football. So everything for me would be to get the ball out of his hands quickly, especially early on because you want to get a guy like Sam in rhythm. And I think that helps any quarterback. Also, I think um, with his ability to make good decisions, any plays where making a good decision or a check or a, you know, a, a play change can get you into a really, really good play, Sam can handle making those decisions. So those would be the first two places I would start. Don't ask him to hold the ball for a long time, especially in the first game. And I would I would try to use the fact that he's very intelligent and understands the game to the advantage of the offense with regards to making good decisions pre-snap about where to attack the defense. That's the voice of Phil Longo, who is now the OC at Wisconsin, but he was the play caller and coordinator of North Carolina's offense when Sam Howell was there. We did an interview with him yesterday. If you missed it, 
He was really, really good. Gave us a lot of great Sam Howell insight. You can listen to that interview right now or after the show, ideally. Uh, it's a couple tweets back on my feed. If you check it out, at Grant H. Paulson, I posted a link directly to the interview. You can also find it tonight at thefandc.com or grantanddanny.com slash audio. Uh, speaking of Twitter, I just posted this, but wanted to mention it on air. I don't think this is official because I'm sure they have time to see if he feels better. I keep hearing from everyone I talk to, though, that Brian Robinson's probably not playing this weekend. Now, there's a lot of guys that might not play this weekend as we get closer and closer to Sunday. But uh, apparently, he was super banged up, almost didn't go, and kind of talked his way into playing this past week. But expect, in my opinion, a Jonathan Williams-Jarrett Patterson backfield with Sam Howe. I don't think you're going to have Antonio Gibson available. Well, we know that. He's been ruled out. He's on the IR. But I don't think you'll have B-Rob with him either, based on what I'm hearing. So it's going to be a makeshift unit against that Cowboys defense that's one of the best in the league when it's going good. Well, they're great at forcing turnovers. I yeah. think they're going to lead the league in turnover differential again uh, two straight years, or at least turnovers forced. Maybe their offense yeah, Last year ends they up with tied more. with the Colts number one, I think, with 33 takeaways. I haven't seen what they are this year. Yeah, at one point they were leading the league. Maybe that's they've fallen off. But the point is they're close, which is usually unsustainable. But you do it two years in a row, maybe you say Dan Quinn's on to something. Um, to me, this may actually be counterintuitive. The general consensus would be you hand it off, get rid of the ball quick, just like Coach said. To me, I think there's got to be one thing that happens at some point. Prove to the defense that you're willing and able to do something down the field. I think that backs them off a little bit. Because if we're just sitting here on the radio, you and me, a couple of pudgies, going, the best thing to do is probably throw short and quick and hand the ball off. I bet you Dan Quinn and compensated professionals that are millionaires and live in incredible houses and drive really fancy cars because they're smart at this, I bet you they know that too. And I bet you they know they're going to jump a route or two or, or you know, try to mix up some things up front and, and, and confuse you and disguise blitzes and, and try to get after you a little bit to force some turnovers. So you got you to find the right moment. You got to find the right spot. Guess right on the coverage. Maybe you max protect it. I don't know. But you got to do something down the field somehow. And I think that's when we can get to what you and I and everyone else is going to say, hand it off, throw it short and quick to protect the guy. Yeah, I think getting rid of the ball fast is just a no-brainer with a young quarterback. Mm -hmm. That goes without saying. I think I would set the record for wide receiver screens called if I was calling plays in this game. You'd find out what it is and beat it. <laughs> right. And, and it doesn't even have to always just be bubble and smoke stuff and throwing the ball out wide to a wideout. It can also be really quick game, you know, stop routes, hitch routes, slant routes, stuff like that. I think all of that is on the table and would be a big part of what I'm going to do. I, I guess my one unique answer might be over the course of a full season, I, I wouldn't want to run Sam Howleton if he was my QB1. But I think early on, certainly in the first 15 script and maybe even one of the first couple plays of the game, I'm going read option. I'm having him keeping the football. You know, I'm telling him as much. Like, look, you should read yeah, the defensive that. end. If he's playing you, then give the ball. But if you have a chance early here, we're going to yeah. go read option three, four times. I want you to keep it once or twice, a la when Washington played Atlanta at FedEx and Marcus Mariota dinged them for 11 and 9 and 11 yards, I think, on the first three keepers. Then all of a sudden they started playing him, and what happened? Algier and their running game with Cordero Patterson took off. And so I would call a really early design keeper. Might even be just like a, a all vertical route spread in man. Yep. When I get him in man coverage, like let's let's run a draw. But but I want to use those legs to show them that so that they think about it. I think we're feeding out of the same trough here, right? Because that's the point. You got to keep them honest. 
that's that's when a defense eliminates. Like think think about I, I always liken things to baseball because it's you know it's what I know. If you don't care that a pitcher is going to throw a curveball, right? You don't have to worry about the curveball because he can't throw it for a strike. You eliminate it. You don't give a damn. You don't respect it. But if he snaps a bunch of them in there for a strike, well, now all of a sudden that fastball plays up. You worry about the changeup, et cetera. If you can eliminate somebody's pitch, it's not a thing. If you make them think about it, if you do it once, you do it twice, you do it enough times to keep them flat-footed and honest so they can't just tee off on you, I think that's the key to me. He throws a good deep ball, yeah. according to everyone that evaluated him before the draft. He's got it. We know he's got an above-average NFL arm. He's got a plus arm. Uh, I'll tell you a story about that in a second. But I think that... I somehow want to try to get a deep shot to your point, like in the first half of the game, maybe in the first quarter. Maybe it's on a first and 10 after you've picked up a first down running mm-hmm. it or something where you try to catch him. And if you have to move the pocket, then do it. I just don't know how comfortable he is on a bootleg, on the move, whatever. But if you can move the pocket or get him outside, help protect, because they might not have their A line, and their A line right. isn't even a stalwart group at this point. But I, I think that's got to be. It's got to be somewhere early in the the game plan as well, just because, A, it's a strength of his, but more importantly, to your point, you're just trying to show him something to make him think a little bit. The arm strength thing I was going to mention, I don't know if I, I don't think I've ever said this on the air because it would have just felt like beating up on on Heineke, which wasn't what I wanted to do, but I told you this story. I was in the, uh, at FedEx Field before a game, a home game, this would have been a month or so ago, I don't know which one, pick one of them, Atlanta, New York, whatever it was. I think it was decent outside, so maybe it was the Atlanta day. But regardless, I, I was watching warmups, and just what they were going, they were throwing deep to the end zone, basically mm-hmm. like forty yard cor- routes to the pylon. And it was so vastly different watching Sam Howell throw and Taylor Heineke throw that I actually took out my phone and like timed on a, my stopwatch, like their throws. I'm like, this is crazy. It just seems like. Heineke's ball just kind of hangs and hangs and hangs. Yeah, it's taking a long and, time. And Howell's kind of goes where it's supposed to go. He's just got an NFL arm. I mean, he really does. Yeah. And I, I think th- there's way more things that are important than, than arm strength. But he's going to be able to throw the ball downfield if they want him to. I hope he does the little stuff well. We're talking about wide receiver screens. Like, sometimes you throw those over guys' heads. You know what I mean? Yeah. We just watched Carson Wentz throw Sometimes the ball. you don't have time to get laces. Sometimes it's exactly. not the perfect grip. Just got to go. We just saw Carson Wentz this week miss on three throws to running backs within two yards of the line of scrimmage or in the backfield, and two of those got spiked at their feet as if you picked a random fan out of the crowd. Obviously, Wentz is better than that, but that's what he did in that moment. Mm-hmm. Bad footwork, bad execution. You just hope that how hits the layups. The, the the shots from 14 and 17 and 22 feet, we'll figure that out as we go. But make your layups, man. You know, eat, eat the stuff that's easy to eat and then swallow down the vegetables. Let's go to Adam and Only. Uh, how do you hope they put together a game plan to make him look good? What would you want to see? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Hey buddy. Um, I, want to make two, I want to make two points. Uh, the first, I'll be quick. The first... You know, I think 90% of the time the game plan should be get it out of his hands quick, um, a lot like what you guys are just alluding to. But on the first play of the game, I'm dropping back a la Vic to Jackson, Monday Night Massacre, and I'm letting one rip. Let's get them on their heels. What do we got to lose? I want to see the arm strength. I want to see him push the ball down the field. Let's get them on their heels off the break. Yep. And that brings me, that brings me to my second point, which is let's say he balls out on Sunday. 
can we can, can could the commanders pull off like a Matt Flynn situation where you know maybe maybe you don't keep them, but maybe you package them in a deal to move up in the draft, or maybe you package them in a trade to get one of those veteran quarterbacks that the fan base is clamoring for. I just think that maybe that's an option for them if he balls out on Sunday. I mean, remember that it was only a handful of months ago now that uh, every team passed on him four times on average, mm-hmm. you know? So the answer is probably no. You're not packaging him for anything meaningful. But if he's terrific, his stock – like, here's the worst thing that happens. His stock goes up, you like him more, other teams might like him more, and you probably can't get much for him. But so what? I mean, you have your long-term answer as a backup, or if, if you strike out on the veteran market – Somehow, some way, you end up doing this thing again with the Heineke experience. Like he's competing for playing time. It's all good if he plays well. Nothing bad comes from that. Yeah, there's no downside, right? But in terms of him being spun, other teams are aware of the Matt Flynn phenomenon too, right? Yeah. Like a, the or the AJ Feely, or you could pick any of those dozen guys that played well in tiny samples. And now this will be the dude. I mean, look at Nick Foles' career. For goodness gracious. Well, I'll say this: right now, this second, if the 49ers tried to trade Brock Purdy. They couldn't get much for Brock Purdy. And that guy's played his ass off for a month. I mean, he legitimately played excellent football for them for a month. Because most people are going to look at that and go, well, look at the game script. They're they're running the ball. They're playing defense. They're mostly playing from ahead. Oh, by the way, Kyle Shanahan's designing wide-open throws. Does Kyle come with him? (laughs) Exactly. If you're not giving much up for Purdy, which I don't think much many people would, nobody's trading anything. But, again, I don't even know that's a conversation we need to have. The idea is, could he be the cheap, affordable, homegrown backup here for a few years, perhaps, and be a guy who, when he plays, plays well enough that maybe he pushes for playing time if the guy in front of him's not playing well. Let's go to P in Fredericksburg. What's going on? Hey, first time caller. How y'all doing? Hey, buddy. Doing well. Thanks for calling. Hip hip hooray! Hip hip hooray! Hip hip hooray! I'm gonna do anything I can do to keep him up. Right, and so there's no seven-stop dropbacks. Uh, drop I'm going to run RPOs. I'm going to move that pocket. I'm going to bootleg him. I'm going to do uh, whatever it takes to uh, get him to the edge and tell him when he gets out there, if he doesn't see anything, run. Just run. Just so take off. I, um, that's what I'm focusing on. I like it. And you yeah. know what? I'd love to see him scramble around a little bit. Didn't we all feel like – Heineke left some meat on the bone with running this year. 100%. He now, just stopped scrambling. That was a really big asset to his game. The I'm really smart and I know everything theory was. He was worried about getting hurt. And I'm sort of like, I don't think you get to do that when you're hanging on by a thread and every start could be your last. Well, I you think know? the theory, though, was tied to the fact that if Hal's not ready and Wentz isn't available, they might have said, hey, do everything you can to stay on the grass. We can't afford you to get hurt running around, stay in the pocket where you're safer. I mean, I'm not saying I believe that theory, but I don't think it was just like he's worrying about his health. The theory actually was that the coaches may have said said that and not they didn't call any kind of keepers. They they didn't want him to run because they're afraid that Hal has to take over then for weeks yeah, on end. But I just I th- which I think is ridiculous. Obviously, I'd, I'd I'd like a guy in control of everything sliding over you know get being in the pocket getting creamed. But that's just one way or the other. I mean, he didn't run at all against San Francisco like at all minus four, which was on some. You know, passing attempt type stuff, probably. And, uh, yeah, he had over 10 rushing yards once after his first three games. And his high was a six-attempt, 29-yard game against the Colts the the second time he played. 
800-636-1067. We're asking you what kind of game plan you would put together if you were tasked with designing it for Sam Howell in his debut. I'm curious if he does play really well or if he does play poorly. Will that resonate with you in any way? Will it matter a whole lot? We're Grant and Danny. I felt really good about Sam. You know, he's had multiple roles as far as, you know, he started out this year as an active third, um, was the backup for a while um, where he was preparing to play. And, you know, he was one play away from playing, um, you know, for however many games that was, um, you know, when, when Carson was inactive. And, you know, I felt good. Like if he, if he would have had to play, you know, I would have felt comfortable with him playing. I'm excited to see him go out there and play. Um, you know, obviously not a great situation uh, as far as just, you know, the, what happened last week and everything like that. But, you know, he's excited. Um, he's worked really hard for this opportunity, uh, and it's going to be good for him to get out there and play. As Scott Turner met with the media today. Sam Howell going to make his debut on Sunday. Scott Turner's got to draw up a game plan and help Sam Howell execute offensively in his first ever game against a really good defense. And by the way, this game is a truly legitimate referendum one way or the other, I think, on this offensive staff. Don't you think? It's not to say that I'm going to blame them if Howell falls on his face. But we're going to be able to tell how much of it is on him versus is he being put in a good spot. Here's what I mean. I can watch the Carson Wentz game, Mm -hmm. and I can say they may not have helped him with everything, but when he's spiking a ball at Brian Robinson's feet, that's not on Ron Rivera starting him. That's not on Scott Turner's game plan. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. When you sail a ball over Jonathan Williams by 15 feet so that Adam Amin on the call goes, oh, no, it'll be second down. That was bad. At the end of the game, like, that's not on anybody but you. Carson Wentz flopped in that game. It happened. It, the the, the locked-in interception on McLaurin, your problem. The, the deep shot when you got guys underneath. End of the game interceptions when you're down a bunch I don't really care about, but that was a bad decision. If Sam Howell goes out there in a league where Jarrett Stidham's going ham sandwich for 400 yards almost for the Raiders, and you can see what Kyle Shanahan and the Niners are doing with Brock Purdy, was drafted two rounds after, and he just looks like a lost puppy, and it's embarrassing, and he can't get in and out of the huddle, and they're going three and out 11 times, and they punt 10 times with two picks in 12 drives or whatever, that is in some way mm. a, a referendum on how they're doing things, how they're coaching, how they're developing like at some point, doesn't it have to reflect on yes on coaching too in yes. a league where all these other young guys forget looking terrible, they look good. You know, Jarrett Stidham with Josh McDaniels, who even though he's a terrible head coach, is a decent offensive mind. That's right. He looked pretty good. Brock Purdy looks great. Like you're not asking for a ton. Josh Dobbs in, in a week looked really good for the Titans. I'm just asking him to look like a functional quarterback. And if you can't get him there in a calendar season. What are we doing here? Yeah, then what's the point of all of it? I'm with you. The I guess to me, like I'm I'm expecting growing pains. I'm expecting moments of badness. I mean, even in the preseason that we all sort of talk about uh, with this, you know, rose-colored glasses. There's like a pick six in there, I think, and there were a couple of throws where you went, "Oh no, Sam, please don't do that again." But there was some athleticism. We saw some cool things, right? There's a I just want enough where I go. That was fun. 
Right? I want to see a couple flashes. I, like it's like you always talk about with, with the pitcher. I want to see the guy throw 96. We'll figure the rest out. If he can do that one time, then it's my job as a coach and organization to get that out of him. I want to see him evade some pressure. I want to see him throw accurately. I want to see him throw it on time with some anticipation. A couple of highlights. If you don't get any highlights, you're right. It is kind of damning. I guess that's all I'm looking for is a handful of highlights. Good moments. Right? Yeah. Just some good moments, some flashes. Tom, Annapolis, how are you? Hey, uh, listen, Sam Howell is a very mobile quarterback, so let's let's play to his strengths. Don't put him in the porous pocket to be uh, sacked play after play. North Turner's got to come up with some plays to get him on the perimeter where he has time to throw or use his legs. Uh, we cannot let Micah Parsons just pad his uh, sack stats to, uh, over Sam Howell. Appreciate you, buddy. Yeah, and Mike Parsons is going to be a uh, Micah Parsons is going to be a big concern in this game as long as he's in the game. My hope is the Eagles get out to like a twenty-one nothing lead, and the Cowboys are scoreboard watching, and they go, "All right, our work here's done." So after a couple drives, yeah, so everybody up. rests. They sit those yeah. guys. Let's go to Sean in Columbia. Hey, Sean. Hey, how's it going, guys? Chill. Yeah. Um, you hit the nail on the head when you said that uh, Taylor Heineke kind of uh, left a lot of meat on the bone out on the field this year. He really hasn't, uh, you know, used his legs. I want to say since the uh, – I can't remember what game it was, but it was like after that game, uh, you know, Rivera and them, they felt that he wasn't really getting out and, uh, you know, using his legs a lot. He so basically stopped like, running. Uh, according to the numbers, Sean, he basically – after yeah. the Colts game li- – Couple scrambles yep. against the Vikings, but after that, yep. it, it was like not a consideration. Yep. I love Taylor for that. Like he would step up in the pocket, he would make guys miss. But I know that is definitely um, how skill set. He will get away from. He's not going to sit there and take sacks. But the other thing that I liked about him with the immediate, uh, the uh, intermediate passes across the middle, like he will throw into the teeth of the defense. He don't care. He will put that ball where his receivers can get it. So I want to see a lot, a lot of those, um, not necessarily play action, but kind of you, you, you know uh, the quick posts, uh, posts across the middle, throwing across underneath the zone, uh, in the middle of the zone, underneath the safeties. That's what I want to see. Uh, and he's going to take us right down the field for a touchdown on the first drive. I know that that's what he does uh, well. So, yeah. How about it? I mean, it, it, can you imagine? Oh, yeah. I was going to say in the stadium, I don't know how many Commanders fans will be there, but the vibes will be really good for Sam Howell if his first drive is a touchdown drive against a number one Dallas defense. A reminder, though, I mean, he is basically going to be playing with the number twos at a lot of positions Mm -hmm. against Dallas's great defense, which has embarrassed this offense at times. Last year, remember, they destroyed Heineke in this offense in the second half of the season earlier this year. Didn't Washington score 10 points in that game? They did. I think they lost 25-10, and, and it was just an ugly game. And it wasn't game. that close. It was not. I mean, yeah, I, I don't I, I don't see a touchdown on drive one, but it would be amazing. I told you, I don't think Robinson's going to play from what I'm hearing. So that means no Gibson, no Robinson. It's the Jonathan Williams, Jarrett Patterson show. He will have his full assortment of wide receivers, we think. But the O-line and the running backs are going to be makeshift for sure, it sounds like. Yeah, tough ask. Jermaine, Indian head, what's up? Hey, how you doing? What's up, buddy? All right. I, I have a question more than anything. What if Sam Howell goes up there and plays like I have a Pat Mahomes type game, three, four touchdowns, 400 yards on 70% passing? 
what does that do? Does that do anything? Or in, I want the Cowboys to be really playing to win. I want the Eagles to be down and everything. <laughs> so, so you're talking best case scenario for how? In other words, Dallas is trying. Yeah. We know they are, and he balls, and he still out. kills them, and he lights it up. I think it does something. I mean, here's the thing. What will happen is, let's be realistic for a second. Fans and some media in this town will then say, this guy can play. He could be your answer. I think what they would need to do is still go into the offseason and bring in a starter. Whoever that would be. A a veteran-type starter. And then, best-case scenario, Hal's actually good and pushes that guy or competes and forces his way onto the field. Or, looks so good in practice that they know he's good. And they find a way to play him a bunch in the preseason or something and showcase him, and you flip him for a pick. I'm just trying to follow a hypothetical. This no, is sure, all sure, sure, very yeah. unrealistic. Yeah. But that would be my best answer for something that probably is not going to happen. I guess where, where the, the caller's going is, could this then mean he's the Sam Howell's the incumbent? I guess that's right. what he's after. I, I suppose four quarters of football should never give a guy a job going into the next year when he's a fifth-round pick who you drafted to be a QB2 for the future. I suppose... Here's and I'll, I'll do the thing where I, I squint and I see it. If you strike out with a couple of the top name big free, big name free agents or trade candidates, they're going to shake free from some of these teams. Right. Like if you get past a certain threshold, whatever you want to call it, Carr and Garoppolo, those are names we think now, and you're into the Tyrod Taylor tier yeah, where he's you available. Sign Andy Dalton, then there's no reason Sam Howell can't compete with Andy Dalton. Yeah. So if you're in that always available, anyone can sign them at any time tier. Why not? Why not go with the fifth-round kid? Agreed. But my answer is they're going to try to do better than that. Yes, that's what they're going to do. They're going to try for Carr. They're going to try for Garoppolo. They're going to try for Brady if he's out there, which isn't happening. They're going to try for Geno Smith. They're going to try for Daniel Jones. Like any of those guys that get out there. And then if last year happens and they end up down a tier and they go to Andy Dalton or whatever, then all of a sudden that's good news for Sam Howe. All right, let's blitz the East next. Cowboys, Giants, Eagles, all in one segment on Grant and Danny here on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Uh, 